The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. Hey, this is Dr. Michael Drake, Chancellor at the University of California, Irvine, and you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and over the web at KUCI.org. I love Anita Radio. Good morning. This is your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to my my July 10th, 2012 edition of Ask a Leader. And it wouldn't be community radio with a little commemoration I want to make a little bit later after my introduction here to Woody Guthrie. So, not to Woody Guthrie, but to my DS. So, uh, today, the program we're going to take up the depletion of two precious commodities, money and water. First, uh, we'll try on yet another financial scandal on for size with, as I mentioned, the London Interbank Offered Rate, the LIBOR. It's one sizable debacle, folks, that I thought would be a good idea to understand here on the show. Professor Sergios Capertis will help us out there. And then on the second half, we'll check in with UCI hydrologist Jay Familieri, who will talk about a both informative and graphically polished project to which he contributed. It's, called, it's the film called The Last Call at the Oasis. Don't go away. We'll be right back. But first, a bit of a tribute to my wonderful, honored, revered uh, uh, performer, entertainer. Uh, That is Woody Guthrie. He will turn, he will have his 100th birthday celebrated on this upcoming Saturday, July 14. And I hope everyone will take an opportunity to listen to his extensive repertoire of songs that he's performed and even the more extensive songbook uh, that he left behind, which others have arranged and, and performed. Happy birthday, Woody, for now. Everybody stay tuned. We'll be back after this interlude of Woody's. Hey, long in the sun and the rain Long in the sun and the rain Well, thank you everyone for joining us today in this part of our program on Ask a Leader. We now turn to the LIBOR scandal, that is the London Interbank offered rate, or as I said, LIBOR, of the manipulation of this interest rate by the, the Barclays Bank in London. And to talk about this is my first guest, Professor Sergios Caperdas, economics professor at UCI and former guest on Ask a Leader. He's consulted on the problem of civil wars and conflict for the World Bank, among other distinguished international entities. And since we last heard from Sergios, he's been in demand in the media around the world for his analysis of the unraveling of the European Economic Union. He's here today to help us make sense of this colossal banking scandal still in its early stages. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Sergios Capertis. Uh, thank you for inviting me, Claudia. I know uh, it's uh, last minute because this thing's just been breaking over and over, and every new business section has more testimonials, uh, or, uh, testimony from various Barclay Bank uh, 
executives, I wanted to uh, see if for this Barclays Bank manipulation, it's now totaling, uh, uh, affecting an eye-popping $350 trillion in derivatives and $10 trillion in loans that are all based on this LIBOR index. Can you tell us, in the simplest possible way, Sterios, what the Barclays Bank people were doing to get us into this? Well, uh, it's, it, 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 can, it could not have been only the Bar- Barclays Bank. This was uh, somewhat known even by the Federal Reserve here in the United States and other places uh, as far as uh, 2006 and back as 2006 and 2007, there was something going on. And it's, it would not have been possible. It's apparent from what, the information we know now that is on the public domain that it could not have been just Barclays Bank. It's just Barclays Bank at the moment is the only one that we have the evidence on, the direct evidence, and uh, has been has agreed to a $450 million fine. Now, uh, first of all, just to uh, clarify what LIBOR is, it's not one interest rate. It's hundreds of interest rates that are um, set, that, that, try, that determine the interbank borrowing of different banks. And uh, so for each major currency, sort of the euro, the dollar, the British pound, the Swiss franc, uh, and even the yen, even about there are about uh, 15, 20 currencies, they have, they said every day, they set the London interbank borrowing rate, LIBOR, they set it uh, at different maturities. That is, for uh-huh. the dollar, for example, you have what is there is a three-month LIBOR, a six-month LIBOR, one-year LIBOR, two-year LIBOR, five-year, and so on and so forth. And that is determined by usually 15 to 16 banks. What these banks determine, they, they, off, they make submissions about what is the rate at which they borrowed at this uh, maturity for this particular currency at 11 a.m. on that day. And that's supposed to be truthful. And they then take all the different uh, uh, rates that have uh, reports of the rates that they have, they trim the top uh, five, four, four, and the bottom four, and then they average the middle eight. Right? So that's okay. how they do it, so as to avoid supposedly to avoid um, um, uh, collusion and other problems in, uh, that since uh, then have, have surfaced. So what we have LIBOR then is uh, there are many interest rates that determine both the, give a sense of what the market is, and of course, as you mentioned in your introduction, yes. determine the interest rates for most U.S. mortgages, for example, sort of uh, for the adjustable rate mortgages when they adjust, and for the fixed-rate mortgages at the time that they are issued, um, all those things. But even more seriously, they determine uh, derivatives pricing, which is... Uh, Where all the money's really moving. Trillion. It's 800 trillion. We don't know exactly. Uh, and they determine uh, what is going on within the banks. Now, there are at least two or maybe three different types of manipulations that we know now that Barclays engaged in. Okay. One type of manipulation is for traders in derivatives. Let's say those who... uh, uh, And that's what... uh, Meaning that depending 
on uh, whether LIBOR is, uh, uh, for a particular maturity, is determined to be below or above expectations, traders can make, from very thin margins, they can make pretty big uh, profits, millions of dollars within one day. Right. So what would happen then is that traders would call uh, the people in uh, their bank, Barclays in this case, but also it's, uh, it's evident that it was for others as well, that, um, uh, hey, hey, buddy, can you fix uh, the LIBOR for tomorrow at this maturity for this uh, kind of currency? Uh, you have the emails of that, and they say, right. well, yeah, yeah, sure. And uh, they would do that. Uh, so depending on the position they had on their derivatives, whether they were net sellers or net uh, net buyers, uh, they would uh, try to manipulate it uh, below or above expectations. Now, as you can tell from the fact that there are 15, 16 banks that determine the rate, and if you are way off, you are not, you, you, your submission does not count, because it's below, if it's below the average, it's, it's the bottom four or the top four, it doesn't count. It's not possible for a single bank to actually to set it to, to set the rate uh, uh, like that it would affect it uh, it would not likely affect it very much but what this means is also that the Barclays people would also call their bodies at the other banks so it's it's they said if it's not collusion they said it's not quite conspiracy but it sure looks like collusion well it is conspiracy because they, that's what we're saying that that there is uh, that we have the emails between the traders and the, sub- the okay. people who submitted, that's, okay. that's conspiracy. But there is also likely collusion, although it's not proven yet. But from the fact that we know that the traders and, and the submitters were expected to, um, to be able to manipulate the rate, that means that they had to have help from other banks, from others, from, Working in concert. from other banks. Okay. So th- that's not sort of... Uh, the, 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 for sure, there was collusion and bribes and everything that were involved in this. So that's one type of uh, manipulation that was done day to day in order to enhance the profits of particular traders and uh, within the bank and other banks and to do those things. But Stereos, you were saying that the Federal Reserve was aware of this opening up. Well, I've read reports that they were suspicious of it. They were suspicious because they uh, were. They're how would they know? Of it. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to be suspicious and be reasonably sure of it, and it's another thing to be able to prove it in, even in a court of public opinion or in a court of law, because it is not, it's a, the standard is much higher. Uh, it's much more difficult to go out and say, well, there is manipulation. Well, what is your evidence, unless you have uh, sort of, uh, the emails that they got from uh, Barclays? Now, this is the first type of manipulation. The second type of manipulation that took place during the financial crisis was uh, taking place from the highest echelons of the bank, of, the, of Barclays, but, and presumably other banks. And the reason is that if you showed now that was a try to manipulate the, make submissions and manipulate the rate downwards, because those submissions are public, you know, whatever each bank submits for a particular maturity, for a particular currency, for dollar, say, for, uh, for the dollar in uh, overnight rate or something like that, then that becomes public information. Okay. So 
then they can see, your competitors can see, oh, Barclays could borrow at that much, right? So what happened during the financial crisis, and Barclays had trouble obtaining uh, low rates of uh, interbank borrowing overnight and other maturities, they were afraid that this would make it even worse because everybody would see that Barclays has trouble and that will, they would infer from that that Barclays is in trouble and that can unravel the whole uh, company, the, the, the whole bank uh, can be in trouble. So what they did then is they instructed the submitters <coughs> to introduce much uh, lower rates than what they were actually having wow. in order to signal that they were they are not in trouble. It's but other banks were doing the same thing. So, so th- these are two, at least two different types of manipulation. But the, point, the general point is there was, there was manipulation at different levels. Bank to bank. Upward, From within the bank. Uh, right. There was manipulation for profits and the manipulation for... Uh, Generally, for uh, uh, signaling that they are not in trouble during the financial crisis, the in two thousand eight. Well, and and as you were saying, there, this is pegged to so many things, and to sort of unpackage that, that that is the uh, forward rate agreements. I'm I'm finding out the short term interest rate, future contracts, interest rate swaps, inflation swaps. Floating rate notes, syndicated loans, variable rate mortgages, currencies, especially the U.S. dollar, and it's uh, and the various other uh, financial uh, institutions. So this is this is huge. How do we know how it affects our own banks? Well, uh, how how will it? Probably how does it's likely that American banks were participating in this as well, but the, it will take some time to come out. As we mentioned earlier, Barclays could not have done the trader profits without collusion from other banks. Uh, the question is, to, Which what ones? Extent, uh, to what extent were there <coughs> uh, higher echelons of American banks involved in this? So this will be unraveling over the next weeks and months, uh, actually. This is a really a very big scandal, indeed, as you say, because if you, you, you know, we uh, teach our students about free markets, and about uh, <laughs> And about uh, finance, finance is supposed to be allocating capital efficiently. And uh, all this uh, one important prerequisite for that is that uh, you have competition and the setting of prices and rates, interest rates, at the point where it's uh, free market equilibrium. Well, And that everybody this, has information. Uh, what you have here is that you have the manipulation of uh, uh, of the basic uh, determinant, basic prices, the interest rates uh, for all currencies, uh, different maturities uh, that uh, have been used worldwide, and those have been uh, have been manipulated at least since 2005 in different ways. So this is a, a very big thing, and we cannot. Uh, just brush it off. But it's one thing, I mean, this is one of the many things finance and banking are supposed to be, (laughs) as you said, allocating capital efficiently. But what we found out in 2008, they presided over the most inefficient capital allocation in history because they allocated capital, you know, mortgages and other loans to people who could not... uh, 
have hope of repaying. Uh, we allocated uh, to housing and other ways uh, capital in ways that have never taken place. That was, uh, you know, obviously finance did not do its job, yet they continued getting bonuses, record bonuses in 2009 after they were bailed out by the American government, and uh, they continue to do so. They continue to have the so-called too big, big to fail subsidy. Right. They continue to benefit from uh, having the lowest interest rates that uh, the Fed has allowed to them, subsidizing them. And, of course, now we find out that uh, the basic rates that are used to determine all these, uh, the basic uh, LIBOR uh, uh, used to determine everything uh, in uh, banking, all the loans and transactions, have been manipulated for a long time. For a long time. Uh, for those of you who've just joined us, we're listening to my guest, economic professor Stergios Capertis, talking about the latest financial debacle. And it's it's the it's one of the largest wrecked upon us this time by the Barclay Bank and uh, colluding and conspiring other lending institutions around the world. Well, as it's been pointed out in the media, Stergios, that the the British public and the British Parliament are in an uproar over this. But for some reason, the American public isn't clamoring yet. So I'd like to know, uh, and one example, one, one reason is given is that we're experiencing rather a lot of financial scandal fatigue. What do you attribute our varied reactions toward this huge, huge scandal being? Well, a lot depends on how the financial and what, and the, especially the financial press reported has reported widely. It's the more popular news uh, press that probably has not uh, caught on to it yet because they are not. Uh, maybe the journalists themselves and the media themselves cannot explain to themselves and. Um, uh, but uh, it's slowly and it does not involve uh, yet an American bank. But uh, if uh, you have uh, J.P. Morgan, for example, mm-hmm. uh, if you hear, find evidence of J.P. Morgan being participating or Citigroup or Bank of America, then it will become more of a directly of an American story. One reason is because it's a, a British bank, and it's the London interbank borrowing rate, not the New York rate, but although this is it doesn't, the London doesn't mean anything because this is uh, a worldwide, uh, it's determined worldwide. Ugh. So I think we'll hear from it a lot. And uh, as soon as uh, an American uh, bank gets involved more directly. That's where it gets, and that's where it moves off of the business section in the, of the major American papers and onto the front page. Yeah, probably. That's because I know that is where we're digging it up from there. But it's, uh, but no, the editorial press, uh, some of the major papers are trying to get their, get their minds to wrap around so that we're going to do the same thing. But it's, but does it affect our own bank, um, our bank accounts, our own loans here? I mean, it, it's been if it's rigging um, all of the. I mean, if it's a, it, the all. In, Encompassing all comprehensive index, isn't it affecting all of the terms that we're transacting business in, Stereos? Well, it has. It's it's affecting the as we mentioned. It's affecting the interest rates that uh, we pay for uh, variable rate mortgages and those things. And actually, right. 
uh, the manipulation that took place uh, in 2008 for to signal the that uh, maybe sort of actually made the, the 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 rates lower than would have been otherwise, but that's not a good thing necessarily because it means having lower rates than, uh, uh, than otherwise is uh, an efficiency. What we call underpricing of risk. It's right. not necessarily too good to have might be good for an individual homeowner to have lower rates. But overall, if there is an underpricing of risk, somebody has to pay. And since now mortgages are actually, all of them now, are bought by government-sponsored enterprises, mm-hmm. that means that uh, the government is the bag holder in the end. So we'll have to pay ourselves at the end, at some point in the future, we have to pay for the losses that will be incurred as a result of uh, an underpricing of risk. And it does have huge redistributive consequences if there are those that are um, with vast capital uh, and ability to, to borrow on those undervalued rates, uh, that um, for them to uh, assume more capital and those that are less less well-leveraged, uh, who can't meet all of the terms that are coming out in, in, in making these loans. I mean, it's hugely redistributive, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, but it's already, the redistribution is taking place by the fact that we have uh, uh, very low interest rates as a result of uh, the Federal Reserve. Okay. Yeah. That's all. So that's part of it, but the idea is the principle. I mean, uh, if the whole financial market is completely rigged, You know, what it tells you is that the central rates that determine are completely rigged, then this is what kind of faith can you have in the financial system? Well, that's what, I, that's what I'm trying to find yeah, out. What yeah. can we that's do? sort of the thing is that it's, uh, but of course, this is on top of everything else. Yes. Of the, the heap. That you hear about uh, the fact that the uh, major investment banks, including uh, JP Morgan and, uh, and Goldman Sachs, were... Uh, making securities especially designed to fail in order to bet against them. So they were making money by giving really bad sort of securities to their customers and then betting against them by shorting and making money in two ways, sort of by selling to their customers and then making money uh, in the betting against those securities right. and, and those things. That's one, only one example or the taking advantage of uh, of uh, municipal finances like uh, Jefferson County in um, uh, in uh, Mississippi and uh, all things of that sort i mean uh, i mean basically betting against their own customers and what they call the traders call ripping the face of their customers basically well, so sort of this is completely it has become um, completely dysfunctional predatory kind of uh, uh, sector in the economy that since it is not doing demonstrably it is not doing what it's supposed to be doing allocating capital efficiently is basically a completely predatory sector that is uh, that has is basically just uh, sucking money out of the, the rest of the economy Well, we've talked a little bit about in the beginning of the show that it's Woody Guthrie's 100th birthday on Saturday, and uh-huh. this could be a financial dust bowl we're watching unfolding. Well, the financial dust bowl will lead to 
an economic dashboard. <laughs> Because if we get again into the next crisis, economic crisis that will come from, uh, more likely from a financial crisis that will come from the Eurozone, yes. will be worse than 2008. That's what we got to get ready for. Defenses are uh, lower. More people are unemployed now than them. I mean, employment is below the total employment in the U.S. is below, considerably below what it was mm. when the crisis started. The first recession started in 2007, and uh, while the population is growing at one percent a year, so we have four or five percent higher uh, uh, population now, and, and fewer uh, jobs will be weaker, and uh, yeah. And uh, things uh, uh, will be worse, a lot worse, probably like more like the Great Depression. Well, I'm that's that's what I'm concerned about. Is I always like to finish up an interview with some kind of a takeaway message, but this is a this is really bigger than we can imagine. But it and it affects us. I, is there any as we wrap up this interview, Stereos? Is there anything we can do besides just be reading about this? Well. Um, <clears throat> I guess informing one another and realizing that uh, making under people understand that this is finance is actually not producing anything for the economy. No, now. and it's predatory. And as long as it continues to do so, the economy and unemployment uh, employment will not improve. And uh, the longer it is delayed, the worse it will be the final reckoning. So it has to be. Uh, this cancer of predatory finance have to has to be operated on. And so, is is transparency something we can uh, clamor for politically? That we we absolutely uh, demand of our representatives that we uh, that the whole banking industry here and that around the world is more transparent. Is that? Is, oh, transparency that... might be one uh, one uh, factor, but even transparency could not do anything when. When uh, finance uh, has so much political power through campaign contributions, through information, superior information, and uh, uh, and actually the hiring of economists and finance experts who will come on TV and defend their interests, and through the revolving door where you have uh, any government official can expect to go back uh, into a lending institution, in New York City, in uh, sort of Wall Street. Well, what is the to be employed? So this is a, a highly uh, durable uh, um, complex uh, that uh, <laughs> the finance uh, complex, the finance government complex, that is not just one thing. It would require Obama had the opportunity to do uh, to do something like that in uh, when he took over in 2009, but instead he chose to go along with them and actually sort of uh, hire all the people not only in economics and finance, but even in foreign policy. A lot of the deputies of uh, the Hillary Clinton are, uh, you know, people from Wall Street. So these are all people who represent the interests of Wall Street. They have a stranglehold on uh, policymaking, and uh, unless uh, they get out, there will be sort of a, there will be no resolution to the long-term problem. So uh, quickly as we wrap this up, because I know uh, yeah, you yeah. were kind of a step up this morning when I thought we really had to cover this today. There is there anything listeners can activate 
on our in our. Well, I don't know. You can write uh, to your congressman. You can talk to your friends. You can uh, organize or do other sort of uh, citizens uh, groups. But uh, it's not going to be solved uh, overnight. It, it's a long-term process. One has to be prepared to actually go for a long time. Uh, to because it's not uh, the the power is uh, uh, immense. You said it's a durable power. one, right? Yeah. Well, on that note, we're going to close this now, and there may be other developments later that we can take up. I really appreciate your being on the show this morning uh, at last minute arrangement and um, it's it's heavy and but and it has to be said so thanks for contributing to our better understanding take care bye-bye well that's what we're going to be back after a break see you in a bit Well, thank you for joining us the second half of this program on Ask a Leader. My guest is Jay Familietti, University of California, Irvine professor in the Earth Science System, uh, System Science and Civil Engineering Departments, and as the founder of the UC Center for Hydrologic Modeling. He and his research team use satellites to track water availability and groundwater depletion on land have been working for many years towards improving hydrological prediction in climate models like those used in the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, also known as the IPCC. When you see that acronym later, you'll know what it means. Familietti, the fellow of the American Geophysical Union, has briefed U.S. and world leaders on global water issues. Jay Familietti is the 2012 Birdsall Dreis Distinguished Lecturer of the Geological Society of America, and he appears in the water documentary Last Call at the Oasis, about which we'll be talking during this remainder of the show. He provides much of the research underpinning one of the film's main messages that humans are using up water faster than it can be replenished. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Jay Familietti. Thanks so much for having me, Claudia. It's great to be here. Well, congratulations on a film beautifully made, which has us all talking, thinking, and most importantly, reconsidering how we do things. Do I understand it was your very work that the producer sought out and made this film? Well, not not entirely, but uh, certainly on the California side, and certainly uh, as the film relates to groundwater depletion. So uh, I agree with you. I think that it is a film that that gets people talking, and that was one of the goals of of the producer and the director, to to get people to realize that we face these water issues um, that we hear about in other parts of the world. We face them here in the United States, and we need to start to take action. 
Well, you have in the film you you've put Irvine right on the map squarely <laughs> where uh, I the, have. the deserved <laughs> literally lit, uh, on the map over and over. And uh, we're we're going to start with the best news is is that the local and give a, a, a shout out to the local water um, wastewater management agency that was has been if you can call it proactive in trying to uh, use the best practices to uh, maximize the the use of the water and reclaimed water in this area. So you start out with that. We want to give them their credit due, and they, and they are in the film as well. That's right. So uh, one of the things that, that I always point out to people, especially when I have the opportunity to do Q&A after, after, showing, uh, after showing the movie, um, I tell them, you know, when we're here in Orange County, that we're blessed to have such uh, progressive and comprehensive water management uh, between places like the Orange County Water District and the Irvine Ranch Water District. We're in really good hands, which, you know, if there's a downside to that, uh, of which there's, there's really none, it's that we around here tend to take for granted the fact that we're, you know, basically in a desert. And uh, part of that, part of the reason we can take that for granted is because our water is so well managed. Just let me hit on the OC uh, Water District and the groundwater depl- uh, replenishment yes. facility. This is an amazing facility that recycles our sewage water from the from the sanitation facility, which is co-located uh, with the groundwater replenishment system. They're both they're both in Fountain Valley, um, and the groundwater replenishment system is absolutely uh, world class facility that cleans our uh, wastewater, our sewage water. Um, uh, to the point where it's about the cleanest that water can possibly be. Then we take it and inject it back into our uh, aquifer, back into our groundwater supply, and, and use it for drinking water um, and also use it as a safeguard against saltwater intrusion. So really very forward-thinking, um, and it's the kind of thing that I think we will have to see uh, in more places around the world. Uh, Singapore is a great example that the Singapore facility is, is essentially a, a carbon copy of the of the uh, groundwater replenishment system here in Orange County. But it's the kind of thing that I think we will be seeing more and more of around the world because we have no choice. We really have no no other option. Because you're watching with this these elaborate systems uh, models and all that, and you're able to graphically show worldwide where there's a serious depletion. And it's only going one way. It's not reversing. That's right. That's right. In most parts of the most parts of the world, um, where we see groundwater depletion, most of it's occurring in the arid and semi-arid parts of the world, which are the mid-latitude regions that are dry anyway. And those are the places where we rely heavily on groundwater. And what we see from our remote sensing data, our satellite data, is that the groundwater is being removed at a very rapid clip and certainly one that is far faster than it will ever be replenished. So you're right, it's it's one way. So, and we're we're going to talk, folks, about what people need to do, even if it's well-managed in this area. It's, we still need to talk about our own consumption um, patterns and our, our reliance on just going through the water like there's like it was 1999 or something, like right. it was 1930. Right. More like it was, you know, 1939 when we didn't really worry about it and there weren't as many people. Exactly. So uh, for those of you who've just joined us, my guest is Jay Familieri, hydrologist and professor at UCI on Ask a Leader at 
98.9 FM in Irvine, streaming to you live on KUCI.org. Well, um, it's dire, and uh, those grace maps are, are evidence enough, and in the the uh, the film in Last Called Oasis, you talk with various individuals, that uh, two-prong, the researchers who are watching water quality being um, uh, squandered, being uh, uh, polluted, uh, maimed or whatever, and then mm-hmm. and you're watching political activists. Aaron Brockovich is one of the uh, the preeminent ones in the film, but there are many others that uh, realize that the local water supply is tainted and tainted with huge public health consequences of higher rates of cancer and that kind of a thing. So you're you're taking up both of those things in Last Call Oasis that I want everybody to be sure. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about uh, availability of seeing uh, that film too uh, in the course of this interview. So. Uh, that's that's one takeaway message is for people to mind the water quality if they're whether they're seeing evidence of it doesn't look right the public health trends don't look